Well, you know, I'm back from a three-week vacation, so I am ready to join the most physically active people on Earth, the, uh, the Dutch here, the Netherlands folks. Now, uh, I, I did not go and check the citations for this article or ask my friend ChatGPT to, uh, you know, do a deep study of it uh, with its deep learning, its deep thinking. But, but it looks like, the, uh, according to a tweet about an article that I just skimmed, that, that the, 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 the Dutch get, I guess this is an average. I never took statistics, so I don't really know if it's a mean or a mode or a black swan, but, uh, they get about 12.8 hours of exercise a week due That's to pretty the, good. Uh, I think yeah. it's probably mostly due to cycling. Also, there's a lot of walking around, you know, if you yeah. live in the, uh, the larger cities, I don't know the percentage of, um, people in the Netherlands who live in a large city versus, uh, the country, but I'll tell you what, it's gotta be a lot of them. Cause there's a bunch of cows out there in the country like and those those hopefully those cows aren't getting too much exercise because we got to eat them in fact maybe that's the issue with european meat is the cows are also very active when they they got to slow down they need to, they need to chill out yeah the cows got to chill out listen to some music and watch people cycling by but it is like this is this is the time of year uh where cycling is not enjoyable uh you got to have gloves you got to suit up you might even you never know. You might need to bring your rain pants, something, a crazy notion, rain pants that you put on your pants. And you really are going to want to bring them with you because it might be perfectly sunny and cold when you leave. And then when you come back, it might be cold and just, as they say, pissing rain. I think, I think uh, what, one of, one of, I, I heard one of the epithets that the, one of the favorite epithets that Netherlands people like to say is this, this weather is cancer. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is cancer season. However, wow. I did go. My my final thing here is is well. I've got two. I've got two comments. I did go. Uh, the kids went back to school today, so I went uh, bicycling with them. And we right before we left, we had the bike mechanic uh, come do a um, a house call, and he replaced the chain on my bike, which had been slipping every now and then and was rusty. And I've got to say, if you hadn't have your have your bike chain replaced in a while, it's going to be a huge power boost. It's so much more pleasant. <laughs> To, to ride the bike. I got some tips on other stuff. You didn't get joking. like an electric bike for Christmas or? No, no, I don't want to know. Is, that, mean, is that, that cheating? Is that, is that when all the Netherlands people start to gain weight? Cause they always start using electric bikes. I mean, here, here's, here's what I think. One, like if I actually, you know, I tried to start commuting to work and I just, it's just too difficult mentally. Uh, well, that's not the right way of putting it. It's just like, it's, it's, weird. it's a lot of work. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> if I did have to commute, it's basically like an hour, let's say 40-minute bike ride, and I think I would probably want an electric bike just yeah. to like make it slightly more pleasant. But my thinking on electric bikes is, one, I don't get any exercise except for get some. the, yeah. you know, except for the, um, I don't get exercise except for the, you know, gym of life of, of biking and walking around. So I feel like whenever I'm on the bike, I should not be uh, handicapping myself or whatever the word is. Like I, I shouldn't have an electric bike. It's just my chance to actually uh, bike around. Well, it, it helps you up all those Netherlands hills. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise known as bridges, I think. Is. <laughs> and But so while I was in Austin, I noticed uh, there's a lot of bike lane stuff going on there. And, yeah. you know... Kim and I were taking some extensive verbal notes that, you know, would be great to share with, with the hopes and dreams of people who are doing these bike lane things. But I, I want to summarize them by saying, like, I love the progress. There's a lot of initiative going on. People are doing things. 
Uh, I just a little asterisk, double dagger footnote there. There are many of those bike lanes I would not bike on. They look like <laughs> they look like suicide lanes. Like death, the one that lanes. The, the one that's a specialty. There's there's one. Um, what is it's what's there's on Steck and that street that goes by the Lowe's. Like you know you you exit on Steck going mm-hmm. east, and then there's there's like you know Lowe's over there and that Montessori and K, KXAN the news channel. There's some yep. street and there's a bike lane there. And I noticed this around town. Like, so there's a bike lane on the side of the road. And then when you come to an intersection, some genius decided the bike should go into Through. the middle of the street. And yep. then the car Correct. should go onto the, the right side of the bike. Yeah. And, and I think so what they call it, uh-huh. yeah, I think what they call that is uh, death. Yeah. <laughs> that is like a terrible, terrible idea. Like, <sighs> it's. I, well, I, I can uh, tell you, I, because you probably don't have time to drive around Austin and just find those. That that uh, pattern is many places in Austin, which is yeah. like it is very. Sh- I, even living here and watching him build it, I was like, that's. I think seems I th- wrong. Seems I think like, that the well, I, I think the I think what you what I realized that driving here is that you know we don't realize it in Texas and however many other states, but turning right on red is like a fundamental human right to Americans, <laughs> and and like not whereas, Australia. Whereas in the Netherlands, I, I I haven't actually looked this up yet, but there's no we, right on red. You don't do it. Yeah, and we so had this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No and, right so, and so therefore, you don't need that weird bike lane thing because like the car is not going to turn into the bike. There's just no right, right on red, right? Yeah. So but I mean, I can to, I can see how you would need it, but it's just a really really bad idea. But this gets to the key question I want to ask you about this study, which we should say uh, Brian Gracely, friend of the show, he pointed out to us. So thank you, Brian. But the the thing it says, the key, and this is, uh, if you will, in reference to why the Dutch are so successful, is, quote, designing activity into their daily life. Mm-hmm. And right, so it basically goes on to say the Dutch person, uh, on average, over a 1,000 kilometers, right? So my question is, is it they actually designed it, Cote, or is it just my experience with being in Amsterdam is like, ah, it's just hard, it's just hard to get around in a car. Like, it's not that you know, Oh, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very difficult. So it's more like, it's it would be kind of the equivalent of New York. It's like. I don't know if New York is designed for more physical activity or if it's just like, well, you can't really yeah. drive a car. Well, so, well, are we being too generous? My question is, are we being too generous? Like the Dutch designed this versus like, well, they just ended up in a place with a lot of canals and it's not a lot of roads. Yeah. Well, well, you know, first of all, as always, I'm just reverse engineering this from living here. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, but I think the simple answer is yes, and the more nuanced answer is you have to consider two types of designed that way or whatever, right? That that one of them is is the obvious one, which is infrastructure planning, and I think it is very evident uh, that as I as I said long ago when I first moved here, Amsterdam hates cars, right? <laughs> and so like mm-hmm. there is a, an extreme bias towards. Uh, shuffling cars off to like a major thorough, you know, major roads, and also like a obviously a very extreme bias for bikes, right? And yeah. so, and then cutting streets off, like there's a lot of um, like this is a good example. There's a lot of streets that um, to a car they dead end, but for a bike it's completely passable, right? And, 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 and then there's <laughs> also there's also it's uh, you'll notice this if you spend some time biking around. There'll be a sign like a one-way street, and so it's like nothing can enter here. Oh, except bikes, right? Yeah. So this is a very <laughs> common sign that except bikes. So like, well, uh, uh, yeah, Texas is exactly the opposite. Yeah, and now now the other part of that that you have to consider is 
Like the other thing I, I would think, and this is more of a big city thing than like anything else is like, yeah, like most people like go to the grocery store a lot, right? So it's like, and, and you don't really drive to the grocery store because there's no fucking parking. Right. So yeah. like you got to like walk there or bike there. Uh, and oh. in fact, in fact, I, I probably I only know one place, but I bet most Dutch people have memorized where you can park for free for one or more hours. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like, well, that, that was one of the, the things that the, the uh, Peter Molno, the guy who made SimCity, he said the first incarnation of it, they included parking uh, and then they took it out because parking wasted so much space in the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're like, you know, you just can't plan around that stuff. It's terrible. And then, you know, he went on to make, you know, all those other games and left the parking out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the infrastructure thing is like you, you do sort of like build the system to make it easier to drive. Easier. I mean, sorry, easier and cheaper to, to bike. Right. And so like even if I'm going like clear across town, like I really don't want to drive. It's just such a hassle. Like, yeah, I like and, it. Well, kudos. I guess it doesn't. In some ways, maybe in the end, it doesn't matter. It's like kudos to the Dutch. They've embraced it because you're right. Like as you already uh, highlighted, uh, design of bikes is not the first priority here in Austin, Texas. It's, yeah. That is something that is added after the fact, and it is never. You're never like pull. You never pull up to an intersection and be like, hmm, this really worked out well for the bikes. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but there's actually there's a really good YouTube channel of like some Canadian. In city urban planner guy I've and i seen he, it yes yeah uh-huh. he lives here and, and he 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 has kind of a good overview he's a little like preachy you know if you're not into that but whatever but he he kind of he does point out some good things and like it i i had i had a switcheroo of like well this is ridiculous what a switcheroo in austin where you know there's a lot of especially in my old neighborhood crestview there's a lot of uh man whoever sells austin those tall white baton things that they bolt onto the road is mm-hmm. killing it Nope. They must be like quarter over quarter growth rate must be great. They must have sold <laughs> billions and billions of those poles to, to the city of Austin. But, you know, I, I do I, I want to watch. There's this like street. There must be a name for this. Narrowing the lanes to make drivers paranoid and make them slow down, which mm-hmm. is a very that happens in the Netherlands a lot. Right? right. It's just not you don't notice it quite as much because you don't have those big. um those big things sticking up out of the ground, right? And instead, what you want is like, uh, like curbs. Like if you have actual curbs in there instead of those big things, I think it. And and then also trams that could just run into your car. That also helps uh, to to have that. But I think I think seeing how that that lane narrowing goes uh, is is pretty good. And then and then just as a last thing, I mean, the other thing that would be very difficult uh, for Austin, let alone Texas, to do is like, and you see this, uh, you know here in the Netherlands is eventually you just got to be like, you don't have a sidewalk anymore. That's where a bike goes, right? Like you can't like, <laughs> you got to just like create, you got to take on new land to, to be able to bike around, which, which I think is difficult. Have it, have it not be walkable. Uh, but yeah, it will be nice to bike some more, especially when the, the cancer ends. Well, there was, there was a, a, a terrible example of digital transformation. I don't think any of us got trapped by Southwest airlines, I think uh, we had a friend who we, we when while we were in town we couldn't meet till much later in the week because they they were trapped. But uh, it sounds like it sounds like I I forget who I was talking with. Maybe they were just summarizing an article. But it just I mean it sounds like uh, they 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 fully amortized 
their IT stack. Uh, and, and they were just kind of pushing it along a little bit longer. Maybe they, I haven't seen like a full analysis of what's going on, but I think, I think the system's answer is that uh, they need to put in some way of uh, making sure legacy software doesn't hold them back, that they know how to do the business case for updating things as needed, uh, you know, just to kind of uh, make sure your software uh, fits the needs that you have. But again, I don't know. Has anyone actually figured out uh, what's gone wrong? Well, a couple things. I thought this was really, you know, because we talked so much about digital transformation. I think it's, you know, sometimes talking about the good, but this one is definitely the bad. So the quick history here is... Over, uh, which was basically the day before Christmas through the holiday, what happened was there was a big, you know, um, cold front here in the United States, but which in itself, not a big deal, right? Just sort of like, you know, another cold day across the United States. But what happened was it impacted some of the Southwest flights. So I had to cancel some flights and it started out pretty normal, right? But what happened was because Southwest is a, I guess a, uh, if you will, point-to-point flyer. They don't do like hub and spoke. It's rescheduling the flights is a little bit more complicated. And uh, some cancellations in one airport quickly cascaded throughout Southwest to the point that they didn't have a system that allowed them to quickly rebuild the schedule, ultimately resulting in uh, they basically had to take like a whole full day reset. It's sort of like, your computer is really messed up. You're like, I got to reboot this whole thing. I'll be back in five minutes. So in the case of the, the airline, it was, we got to reboot the whole schedule and get everybody in the right areas and the planes in the right areas. So we're we're basically going to cancel a whole day of flights. I so, see. Of so, course, so do, the, do, mm-hmm. doing the processing to completely redo the schedule, whatever right. that means, like took too long. Took a day. So, but now it basically took a day, but they had to like essentially, and you think about it at the scale, like if you cancel a whole day of flights, so then you got a whole day's worth of people, right? That you then got to like plug back into a system that maybe only has, maybe it has one, 5%. On a good day, maybe it's got 2% of slack in it. Now you're just, you know, you basically need 100% slack. And yeah. so what happened was, so and kind of reading up on it, and the part that I thought was interesting was the the process. I guess this has been really well known. I guess, and there's a great uh, uh, letter that was written by the head of the pilots' union. So I guess he's a captain at Southwest Airlines. I don't know. I don't know if he actually wrote it. I assume a ghostwriter wrote this thing. But if he didn't write this, or if he did write this, he should have been a writer. This is one of the most fantastic letters to uh, from a union head to uh, an executive I've ever read. I mean, the language is awesome. The examples is awesome. I encourage everyone to go read it. But what this um, pilot did is he went back and he said, this is not new. He actually went back and said it happened in these other times, right? And he basically went on to say is, the company has been failing to invest in technology over this very long period of time, has this antiquated system by which pilots, flight attendants, and other staff, they literally have to call in. They have to call into the, to Whoa. the uh, Southwest Airlines. Like calling like, techs. To, yeah. To, well, you, don't, so, you, don't, you, you don't know techs. You didn't go to UT, right? But it was the uh, the, the, te- the telephone enrollment exchange for UT. Okay, Austin. yeah. It's probably something like that. An automated system. You have to call in, and then you know the pilots have to like be given their rebooking instructions and where to go. And so... Like, as soon as I hear that, you know, uh, people couldn't see you visually here at Cote, but you sort of like your eyes like lit up. You're like, oh, my gosh, people are actually calling in. And I had the same type of thing because I actually saw the spokesman. I started following this a little bit when I was on vacation. This, uh, The spokesman came out. And one of the questions was asked was like, hey, you know, is the problem the systems and the Southwest Airlines spokesman? So I assume this is the person who's been media trained, 
who's thought a lot about his answers. He gives the following answers. He's like, I don't think the problem is uh, the systems. It's just we don't have enough people answering the phone. And it was like, you've kind of missed, nice. you know, it's the moment where like, you don't really know what the problem is. Like literally the person is just like, we just need more people in the call center answering the phone. It's like, no, 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 no. Every, there should be some type of system. A pilot should just be getting text messages, uh-huh. instructing them like, okay, here's where you go. Here's your new assignment. Um, and so this resulted in uh, estimated $825 million loss, which is a combination of refunds, so real money they will have to pay back, uh-huh. a combination of uh, they're giving out more flight credits. And then here in, uh, in uh, the United States, at least, they're offering like these very cheap fares, $49 to go different places. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of comes back to like the things that I highlight here is like one, like just how mainstream like a digital transformation problem is at this point. Like they don't use this term, like nor would I expect them to. But these pilots, and I'll just say the pilots speaking for all the people at Southwest Airlines, have are fundamentally asking like, why can you not provide us better computing systems for us to do our job? And they go further to say that. The company has mismanaged its investments, been basically paying a high dividend and paying out money to shareholders where it should have been reinvesting that money in technology. But this is just a regular, you know, I I feel like a pilot and a flight attendant. These are just, you know, these are non-tech jobs. These are people that are just sort of like, I come, I have a very set specific set of duties I need to do. I need to have the right tools. The fact that 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 group, like the fact that they get the technology is holding them back, I think that's a huge win for digital transformation in general. And then two, the fact that they can quantify like, hey, look at all the billions of dollars you've paid back to shareholders. And then finally, Cote, to what you originally were saying here was absolutely. So now what would a digital transformation project, you know, cost even one on a large scale? Maybe 25 million, maybe 50 million, maybe like, I mean, those are pretty big projects. I don't think, you know, you don't walk into most places and find those. But now Southwest Airlines is going to be the poster child for this. Well, do you want to wait and spend $825 million? Do you want to wait almost like a security breach? Do you want to wait until this happens? Or can we carve out $50 million, put together a program that'll take a long time to be realistic? This won't happen overnight, but can we, you know, start building a program that will get us to the place that we need to be? So I think everyone that works in digital transformation, all of us, like we got to update our slides. Like this is like going on my deck first page. I think I think you call this the uh, the Southwest Constant, and it's eight hundred twenty five million dollars, right? And and the Southwest Constant is basically this is the number we've been searching for, right? Like, and I, I you know I'm I'm gonna just detail uh, or, or agree with a lot of what you just said because security was my first thought, right? My, you know, security. The thing with with uh, selling security is all you have to be like is like, aren't you afraid? Sign here, right? Like it's just like like whatever the business case is, it doesn't matter, right? Like you, you have to be secure. So, you know, you can like hunt out the, the, the commodity things versus whatever else, but like, it's just security. You don't, you know, I I'm exaggerating. However, it is, does seem a lot nicer compared to what you were just talking about. It's like, well, we should just kind of replatform and rewrite and whether it's five R's or seven R's or however many R's like, Let's let's uh, let's work on this five year project to uh, do our digital transformation stuff. And like, I feel like that business case is near impossible to do, like, you know, in a way that everyone is going to agree on. Like, you'll certainly have, you know, subsets of people who agree on it. But now, you know, I think I think previously you couldn't really do these kind of business cases like you can't do a business case based on savings until you've lost all that money, which isn't really what you want to do. And so now we have the Southwest constant and we can start in the same way that you can be like, 
you know what you should buy my security project and uh, my security product log for J and then boom, you're done. Right. <laughs> like silver, so, so, uh, 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 solar winds and then, mm-hmm. and then you're done. Right. And so like here, I think if we can get maybe like, let's say two, we need a total of five constants here. And I think we can do something. And I think the last one that I remember is that there was a lawsuit between Hertz and Accenture about some sort of big project that went off the rails a while ago. And I think we could get a constant from that. But I think we get about five of these numbers. And you can kind of, what you can do is you can be like, all right, we're going to do the business case. And we're going to have five lines based on the five constants. There's a drop down box. You can check what that number is. And like, we all know that we're just like illustrating a point. But the point is to show what the potential impact is. Uh, and then finally, like the security people, we can make money based on fear, which I think is a, is a future <laughs> That's right. we all should probably not look forward to. But I do think, you know, I, obviously in the end, all of these things are incentives, right? So, of course, the stock market and investors are going to reward a CEO for higher earnings and, and a higher dividend. Like that, that's just mm-hmm. how it works. So I think that's the the real you know difficulty being an executive is like, hey, is saying to ourselves like, well, we're going to be a little less profitable, right? Yeah, and this we're going to do this point. because we've got to, you know, we have to protect against, you know, the quote unquote bad swan event, right? So this is an $800 million, you know, essential like, you know, one day outage. And, you know, and I think, you know, I think we always talk about too, it's like, the problems were well known. Like I always say this, like you don't need to hire McKinsey or anybody. Like you can just go walk around. In this case, you could go go to the pilots and be like, hey, how like how do you reschedule? What how do you do it? How do you reschedule when you mm-hmm. um when your plans change? Right. And it's like the fact that like, oh well, everyone has to call this system and things like that, like that's just a red flag. Like you, I mean, if I'm running Southwest Airlines, I'm just like, okay, how many people have to make a phone call and how many people do we have on a keyboard? answering those calls. And like that to me is a huge red flag, right? So I, I would just say if I had any business, if you just said, put me in charge of, you know, making widgets and I just was sort of like taking um, uh, inventory of the company, I would start asking that, like how many of these manual things are we still doing? And what's, what's, what would it look like if we had a sudden spur- surge in activity? Could we survive it? And I think in the case of an airline, it's pretty obvious that these kind of situations are going to be pretty common. Maybe some other, you know, types of industries, you know, it's just completely un, unheard of to have this kind of surge. So I think that, and also too, it's, it, uh, as you look at where the CEO is now, it's like, well, clearly, um, you know, he'll have to go to the board. So I guess my question's kind of following this, like one, will there be any action on them? Like if this person had to step down or was fired, that would really send a message, right? That would say, Hey, mm. you know, you have to, you were in charge of this. You didn't get it done. We're moving on. And two, I mean, it's it's rare that you unite so many parties to uh, immediately hate you, right? Like if you're the CEO, you have your your staff, your all your employees, all uh-huh, the pilots uh-huh. and flight attendants at least, they are very unhappy with you, right? All of your passengers, I mean, because universally, almost everybody that was on Southwest was affected, now, you know, unhappy with you. And it kind of just leaves like, you know, it's really like when you think about it, like who's left, right? It's like maybe the investors are happy, but they're no longer happy because you lost $825 million. So, So as the CEO, right, it's sort of like that would be the way I would paint this. It would be like you've got to be proactive in doing these things because there's going to be this moment when it's going to be all your fault. And we'll see. We'll see what the consequences are. Maybe nothing. Maybe, you know, he's, he's the person to lead it back. But it would seem like if I was the board of directors, like one simple thing you could do is just have that person step down 
bring in somebody, give them the charter. Hey, you're going to take our systems and modernize them for the next, you know, 20 years. Let's get it done. Pay everybody, you know, give them the frequent fire miles, give them some low flares and try to rebuild your brand. I mean, I, I guess, I guess that, you know, I forget how long ago this was, but there was the, in, in security world, there was uh, the target CEO was fired or something, right? Or resigned. Right. For this security over, breach of over credit cards. Thing, yes. Which, which is, you know, kind of a, a, a pattern of what, of, of what you're saying. Yeah, you know, it, it is like I think you're 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 getting to uh, the 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 counter case. I was thinking in my head, running parallel to the Southwest constant, and I and I think this is what will have to pan out. Is like, well, there's two things. One, you know, this is probably something you could get your uh, your your big four consulting people to come do for you. That would be nice. Is to, and I don't know if it would be helpful. This would be helpful when you're deciding what to do, not after the fact, justifying that you didn't do anything. I mean, once something's messed up, it's, it's hard to like <laughs> defend your decision. However, there's got to be some kind of analysis that's basically like, okay, over the past 10 years, and I, I don't know about Southwest, so let's just say you've got a cardboard manufacturing company or, or whatever. Like over the past 10 years, we could have modernized our stack, but instead... We use that money for share buybacks, and therefore, we generated this much return for investors. Now, long term, that meant that uh, at some point, we could no longer manufacture and ship these cardboard boxes. However, we generated so much value uh, by not doing it and instead using that cash for something else that actually it all kind of evens out. And then we can just take a five-year hit to modernize stuff or whatever. Or even just get acquired by a PE firm in the uh, the, the cutthroat cardboard manufacturing industry, and yeah. so there, you know, that 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 seems like the other side of the business case you need to do is the uh, uh, what if we do nothing? <laughs> well, I think Kote, there's a really good you know counterexample to this that I thought was just just happened to come out at the same time. So Delta, Delta is going to offer free Wi-Fi on their flights starting February 1st, right? And so if you read the article there. It basically says they've invested over a billion dollars, and they and I know I was asking around. I know some people that fly Delta a lot, and they said that they've been on some of the planes where they've been testing it. And they said not only is it free, but it's really you know it's good Wi-Fi, right? I think, actually, I think I've used that at some point recently. Yeah, so you know how like there's different tiers. There's like sounds like Delta is actually Wi-Fi that works. Then there's like I don't know. I won't pick on any specific airline. We've all been on like you pay for it, and you're like this doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't work at all, right? So. You know, I don't know what the business case was, but, you know, on the face of it, I'm just like as a uh, flyer, maybe one day when I, I don't fly Delta much, but just seeing this makes me want to fly them. It's just like somehow they came up with the number. They're like, yep, it makes sense for us to spend a billion dollars here in Wi-Fi. I assume because they either feel like that will make them more competitive or in the short run, it will be a competitive advantage. Maybe like people, like I just said, it's like, well, you have a choice between, you know, Southwest and Delta. You know, this week seems like taking Delta would be a lot better. It's like, one, yeah. you know, you don't have the outage, but more importantly, too, it's like, oh, everyone's got the Wi-Fi. And, you know, you were just talking uh, in the pre-show about and traveling with your kids. It's like, oh, man, how great is it? Like they get on everybody's iPad just has it. It's you don't perfect. have to like buy it. And it's just like, yeah, watch your YouTube, you know, travel, whatever. Do you know, occupy yourself? So, you know, it's just the other it's just the flip side of the coin. Nobody. um, I don't know if the CEO is going to get promoted or he's going to get a bigger bonus for the Wi-Fi, but like clearly at Delta, think about just how hard that was. Like if it really was a billion dollars, right? Or even, even if it was close to that, it was like, that takes a lot of internal selling by someone to convince everyone to do it. It's almost like the Amazon prime kind of thing. We're going to lose a lot of money on this upfront, but 
down the yeah. road, it's going to pay off in spades. So I hope in the case of Delta, whatever they want the benefit of Wi-Fi uh, to be, I hope it comes through just because it'll be a reason to proactively do a project like that. No, it, it's that's a good example because it's it's an example of like, taking that extra money like like you, you could even do the, the the worst case like you're still not going to modernize the stack and you're going to have this extra money so you might as well add a competitive feature right like right. In a comp- and and it is, it is you know because i i don't know i bet in the airline industry they're just like pricing what are you going to do right like <laughs> like that that the, those horses have left the barn a long time ago it's just we're it's, it's just a race to the bottom pricing whatever right however you know, if if you can't control, if you can't compete on pricing or any other aspect, you got to find these other things to compete on. And uh, you know, I, I think I bet there are plenty of people who will be like, "Yeah, uh, that that sounds good." And, and even if there's not, like, well, if they add five more of these types of things, maybe it would be like another example has nothing to do with software. Is like, you know, you got. I, and I I remembered this because we were on a plane that did not have this. Is like it would be a fun move like this if an airline said, "All right, we got all those new planes." where you can actually put carry-on bags like in a different way so you can pack lots of carry-on bags in the overhead. You can put four in an overhead instead of uh, two. And so because of that, it's free to check a carry-on bag if you want, right? Like, like it doesn't make any sense to like... We, and that, that, would, that would be a great like snarky ad uh, to be like, yeah, you know why we charged you? Because there wasn't room. So we wanted to make money and also prohibit you from doing it. But now, I mean, if you want to check it, it's fine, but you're going to have to wait to pick it up. Why don't you just put it on for free? Like, yeah, whatever. It'll actually fit. They, they should get some ad people to work on that, that pitch there. <laughs> but like it, it's, uh, you know, just and, you know, th- this is the kind of thing like I, 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 I was just thinking this year I need to explore ideas like this more, which is sort of like unquantifiable good business ideas right like another one and you know you could quantify the overhead bin thing by saying like the plane will board faster and then blah 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 like some sort of like tailoring stuff but like i don't know i've been on enough flights that like it doesn't really matter how fast the plane boards you're just gonna sit on your ass like in fact i was i'm gonna go on a tiny rant but i'll keep it short like you know you know uh i travel enough that like what I really dislike is when they want to board early. Like if the boarding time is 2.45, I'm going to show up at like 2.50 because I know it takes at least five minutes to board first class, right? So if I show up at like 2.50 and I'm like one of the last eight people to board the plane, I'm just like, what the fuck, right? Like (laughs) now you've just boarded us early and we're going to sit on our ass. And also I had to struggle to find overhead stuff. It's just like, don't board early, like it doesn't make sense, right? And then, you know, then you always got to wait for some mechanical person to sign off on something, which is fine. We don't want the plane flying, you know, falling out of the air. Anyhow, like I, th- I think I think it's it's good to start thinking about like so instead of having to do a business case for like adding in this feature, like what if it just made the product better and and like and see see how that pans out. Like another one, you know, I noticed uh, back in the states, you can actually pay with your phone a whole lot of places. So you know, it's you can still tell it's like weird, like it's 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 a, a little strange and like still notably HEB doesn't do it, which is just baffling. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't I don't know what their if any I don't know what their problem is, but that's fine. And uh, I saw that there's a lot. You know, I I've never encountered this, but you know, you can have uh, you can have like a QR code on a receipt to to pay for something. I mean, that's basically how uh, what we call Tiki over here works. Uh, where you scan a QR code and it opens up a website that has you select your bank 
you know, it's the Netherlands has like five banks, so that's pretty easy. But it selects a supported bank and you transfer the money. But it's another thing of like, you know, you could make up you could make up some business case of like allowing people to pay with their phone is more efficient and blah 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 and does all this. But like, really, it's just like better. <laughs> and like, eventually, to like go through the years of getting to that point, someone has to just be like, yeah, it just we should do that because it's better. And people will want to. to well, I think uh, not only that, stuff. but like it is one of those things that at times it probably seems at like the one transaction level. It's like, oh, what's the big deal? The, uh, the wait staff comes to you, takes your credit card, goes back and runs it. It's like, okay, like if you're just at, you know, one restaurant or one person do- does that, it's like, okay, not a big deal. But like when you really do sit down and think to yourself, how often does this happen every day? Or like the wait staff has to come over, let's get the card. They have to go back, spend, you know, two or three minutes running the check bring it back to you, then you have to manually sign it and things like that. And it's like, of course, it's it's not only is it a productivity loss, it's like that wait staff could be, you know, serving more customers or the tables could be turning over faster. Uh, it's a security problem, right? Because they have your credit card and it's gone from you and like maybe they'll take your number, maybe they won't. And so when you really start to think to yourself, it's like, it's we probably underestimate like just how much productivity could be sa- saved when that like ultimately... Yeah, um, is rolled out and that becomes the de facto way to do it. Like when, you know, when it's sort of like 90% of the way you, uh, the checks are paid in the United States are done through this automated way. It's like going to be a huge saving. So I think sometimes it's like, it, it just seems, it's sort of like the human mind doesn't like, doesn't naturally think like that. It doesn't think it's almost like a, a form of compounding interest, right? It's like, oh, we don't really think like that, but it's mm. it, the savings could be tremendous. And it's so, uh, and again, it's like, you need to build up small savings like that over a long period of time, right? It's going to be, everything's going to be a lot better. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that takes off over time. Now I, w- I was also, uh, you know, of course, uh, man, did we, yeah, we, we cooked a few times on our own, but of course we ate out as much as possible. Right. You know, to, to, to almost a literally uh, making a sick degree at, at some point, you're just like, uh, but uh, I want a salad. Uh, and then, of course, we went to Chewy's and got like a taco salad, which is just barely a salad. But anyhow, uh, like I, I, I was I was putting on my uh, my sort of like salesperson hat uh, as I was noticing for the for the little point of sale things they bring to the table. I, maybe you've noticed this. But you've got to be really careful because they like the where what they do in the states that they don't do in Europe is in Europe you just pay and that's it you're out. But in the states you scan your your phone or whatever on the thing and then there's another mm-hmm. screen that asks you what tip you want to leave. Right. And there's 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 this is where things get exciting. There's always custom amount. However, not only are the other three amounts uh, frequently different as far as percentages, they're frequently in a different order. Yep. And so, like, my, my, my mind would be trained that 15% is the default, and so that will be in the upper left-hand corner, right? That's going to be the beginning of things, and it's going to go up. It'll be like 15%, 20%, 25% custom amount on the bottom. However, what I learned is that they don't do that. Like, it's all over the place, right? And not only is it all over the place, sometimes it's like 21%. And so, like, I'm thinking part of the pitch must have been like, and you can customize the tip amount. Right. Yeah. You, you, well, can, certainly... you can start to do some programming. And like, you know, we found that uh, if you just raise it up to 22 percent, you bring in more tips than if you just left. No, 100 percent. Like, I don't I don't know if it's custom customized or how much that is. But for sure, you see lots of different amounts. Sometimes you'll see like 17, 19 and 21. You know, it's like you'll see like there's clearly some behavioral psychology going like, well, 
like is if we put 17 the person was going to be 15 so they won't you know they won't change it so there's a lot of like weird little and and they they could uh, they could use machine learning to dynamically refresh it each hour if they were using edge computing over 5g for sure right you know absolutely that sounds like a uh, something that the the data analysis people uh, should look into and and i wish that is one of the many things i wish we could just do away with it's like i just i want everyone to like make a good living and just you know, put, put the appropriate amount, you know what I mean? Just round up to like, <laughs> I choose is a good example. Like been there many times. Like, well, I just, I want everyone to like have a good living. Like, I don't know. Am I, is, is 15 too low? Is 20 too much? Like, you know, just someone do the work for me. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be trying to issue some performance review every time I have a taco. Just please, mm. please just, just like everyone talk, did a good job. Talk about a productivity improvement. I mean, you, you'd gather more taxes probably. Like, uh, you'd spend less time on stuff. It's just like, I just don't want to think about it. Like 99% of the time, it's like, yeah, everything was great. Like just, you know, everyone deserves whatever. Just put it on there. Don't make me think about it. But you bring it to me. I'm like, well, yeah, it's somewhere between probably 15 or 20% is like where I'll end up. So I don't know if that's good or bad. So, so, uh, you know, sort of related, uh, as far as productivity, I think the new year starts off and, and I think there's a few more experiments about, uh, just your day-to-day work life. Things that are going on there, and I think, I think the one that uh, that I think I think will be a personal favor of yours that we review at the end of the year. Hopefully, I don't know if this is going to be CY or FY, but we <laughs> we've got to see how did the Shopify no meetings thing go, right? And it looks like it looks like basically speaking of a hard reboot that at Shopify the management was just like I'm sure it wasn't literally this, but it's kind of a, a kind of effectively this is like all right, we're going to delete everyone's meetings. And we would really like you not to schedule new ones. And uh, there was, I think there was actually a criteria. I forget. It, it almost seemed the reverse. It was almost like the more people in a meeting, the more likely it should be canceled, which I would have I intuited that it'd be the reverse, right? Like if you're going to have an all-hands meeting, have more and more people. But I guess, I guess there's kind of like a, a, a meeting shit valley, right? Where like if everyone in the company is in a meeting, they should probably all be in the meeting because that's going to be a fucking important meeting. Right. Whereas if you just have like 20 people in the meeting, that's way too many people to have in the meeting. Right. But at some point you, you approach probably I'm going to say if 75 percent of the people in the company are in a meeting, shit's going down. Right. Those might be the only 75 percent of the people who still work <laughs> after, after matters, the next right? hour. But if it's below 75 percent, maybe you don't need to have those meetings and you can have like two people. Uh, well, I think what you're trying to referring to, because I, I, you know, one, I just think the whole, I love these when I, I love when I see these things, because like, you know, you're like, I'm pretty sure today at Spotify, there are plenty of meetings. Absolutely. I would guarantee it. Right. Even after this went out, I'm sure there are pl- plenty of meetings. Maybe they're not even called meetings anymore. Maybe people are just Shopify. literally slack. Shopify. Yeah. They're slacking each other. Right. And they're like, just like quietly getting together, but they're not sending an invite. Like that would probably be the thing that actually happens. Like, Hey, no one's sending an invite because that's meeting subterfuge. Right. There's like a, there's like <laughs> It was like a secret way to have a meeting, right? And so, uh, but I think, you know, we should bucket them because there's first, there's the all hands meeting. Like, let me tell you this, like who schedules the all hands meeting? Mostly it's the executives. Mostly those meetings are just listen only because there's like way too many people. There are going to be hundreds, if not thousands on there. And I've always thought to myself, like, and there's always a huge production. Like they'll have like a staff, a, a video production staff sometimes like producing it. You know, they'll have the executive come up and they'll be in a nice room and they'll have the videos and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, why do we have to do this live? Why don't you just make a video, right? At your leisure, 
anytime uh, or a podcast or deliver it both, right? Like here's the recorded video, here's the podcast version and just send it out and say, hey, I wanted to give everyone an update on such and such. Please watch the video or download the podcast. Like I have never, I have rarely seen that. I think I've been at one or two places, right? It's a cute, like, so I, I don't, I don't know why. I think if you suggest that to executives, people feel like it's not as important. It's not live. We're not going to let people ask questions. And it's like, none of that matters. You can also have people submit questions earlier and be like, hey, I'm going to please submit the questions beforehand. I'll answer them out, you know, whatever. I'll answer the top 10. So like, that would be my first question back to the Shopify CEO. It's like, okay, when's the last time you had an all hands and how did you do it? And when's the next time you're going to have an all hands, right? Or do you not, or do you just communicate via written text? That's fine too. Like, I'm not going to do any videos. I'm going to do that. So that's my first question. And my second time is just back to like, I don't know, like I'm in meetings a ton. Some of them are very valuable, especially the ones where we're often talking about the client or the customer requirements, getting ready for the meeting. Like, you know, a lot of times I'm getting briefed up on like, here's where the client is. I'm briefing them on how our technology could do it. And it's like, I don't know how we would do it. Like if we didn't like talk, like if we had to do it all via email or Slack, it would be really, I don't know. It'd be really hard. And this is us trying to go out and like, so I think those meetings, like I personally actually want to be in those meetings all day long. Cause I feel like those, I feel like they're very valuable. Like I, and then when we're meeting with the customers, I always actually leave. Not only do I like those meetings, I feel energized. It's like, okay, we did something now. There's a whole bunch of internal meetings, right? I think often that are that are um, kind of the target of these kind of statements. But then I would argue that I think many of these internal meetings are often generated by the same people who say to have less meetings. And that, I'll give you an example. Like anytime you have an MBR, a QBR, or a CEO just says offhand, I'd like to know more on the subject X, right? That will usually trigger like five pre-meetings before the actual meeting, right? Because people are afraid to just walk into the CEO's office and be like, we're not sure what you want. Or like, here's what we know. It's like, you know, you have to go to the chief of staff. The chief of staff assembles everybody. And then that person maybe has a manager. They bring in an individual contributor. Then we're all working on slides. Then there's a PowerPoint template. Then there's like, well, Kote, I got three slides from you and I got three slides from Brandon. Now, oh, that's too many. We got to make it smaller. Now let's do a rehearsal. And it's like all of this came out of, you know, like an executive kind of offhanded comment. And I think but like, what do you say? Like, if you say to yourselves, like, let's just go talk to the executive directly, like you will have a thousand gatekeepers preventing that. So, so I don't know. I just kind of come back to all of this and be like, you know, <laughs> when the, the memo goes out to say we don't have meetings, I, my, my follow-up question is like, what did the same team that said we shouldn't have meetings do? What are they doing to help prevent the meetings? Because yeah, no, my no, guess you- is it's not much. No, you, 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 you raise a good point there. And, and like, you know, I think, I think the, well, first of all, I, I think I think what you got to do is is a little bit what of, of at least what's reported here that Shopify is doing, which is you've got to have some tops down structure to it, right? And and instead of just being like go to less meetings, like I've been at places where they're like, oh, you should have meetings that are forty five minutes long, and and then or and then every, every people try to send me like forty five minute meetings, and I'm like, I'm this is stupid, right? Like it's all there's no way to enforce that, and we're gonna. You know, because you're going to have a 45 minute meeting and then there's 15 minutes free and inevitably you just fill the 15 minutes. So just book 60. That's that's the way things go. However, you know, like, for example, there's like I I always like the idea of enforcing a day where you can't have meetings company wide. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because it's sort of like it's like the Christmas break was like more or less if the whole company is more or less off on Christmas, you don't feel the responsibility to like be an overachiever. 
and, you, and do you, you get that for free if you're in Australia. <laughs> exactly. And then because <laughs> everyone's like, I've got this meeting on Friday. I'm like, nope, that's Saturday. And, and I wonder how much it works because then it's just like if it just means that like you push out the meetings that you're going to have on Wednesday or Thursday that, there, and they don't actually go that. away, then it's like I don't know have we solved any real problem? I, and, I, and I think I think I think the thing and there's a few other structural things that I think are good, but I think the thing that you're getting at, Brandon, is like it's it go, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier is like there's a lot of value in things you can't quantify, right? And one of the things you can't quantify is like the answer to the following question, which every large company asks itself all the time, is why does it take so long to do things around here? Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and like, so that's the other side of this thing is like uh, meetings are both, they, they, they are first a symptom, but then they also become the disease. Right. There's probably some medical name for that. Right. But like, like there's a, and you, you illustrate this very well. It's just like, well, the way that decision, the decision hierarchy in this organization necessitates Lots of meetings for the meetings for the meetings. You can't have, to use the Gelsinger thing, you can't have the meeting in the meeting, right? Like it's the, the, the final meeting is just some performance that you have. And so, uh, I mean, that's, you got you to gotta get that in somehow, which is like, I don't know, seems hard <laughs> to, to get to that point. But that's, uh, that seems the main way to eliminate meetings. Because otherwise, yeah, sure, people are going to want to practice uh, Well, I think, practice you things. know, the internal meetings, I do, I do think it's kind of back to the Gelsinger and things like that. It's like, listen, if the executive team knows the stuff that they want to see and review on a periodic basis, then that's the moment, like back to digital transformation. Go build the dashboards. Spend the time to figure mm, out yeah. how to automatically get what you need, right? And then you as the executive should say to yourself, like, if I'm asking for something that's not on this dashboard, you may rightfully need it. But the request should be added to the dashboard. Because like what 90% of the time happens is like people are going out, creating slides, cutting and pasting charts and graphs from multiple sources into like some pretty PowerPoint deck, especially if you've got some ex uh, financial bankers on your team, they'll make it look great. Right. And then, you know, there's all these dry runs to then figure out how to present that information. But like, that's to me, that's on the consumer, right? Like you can either say to yourself, we don't know what we're going to need. Therefore, there, I, when I ask for a meeting, I expect there to be five pre-meetings to get prepared. And also the way you conduct your meetings. If you are in meetings and you're asking hard questions and you penalize people for not knowing, what are people going to do? They're going to practice and they're going to try to prepare. Why would you not? Why would you want to walk in if I know that my performance evaluation is going to happen in this meeting. And if I'm not prepared for every possible question that I'm not going to do well, then I'm going to have a lot of pre-meetings. Like we would practice a lot versus like, Hey, just tell me what you know right now, because that's like, that's kind of what I'm after. And I don't care. Like, you know, if you don't know the answer saying you don't know, or giving me like your five minute guess is all I want, then that's fine too. But like, are you as the executive or the manager, or the person running the meeting, like, what are you showing your team? Right. What are you actually showing? Yeah. And also too, like, you know, are you like the second level managers are the ones that are always the most paranoid, right? It's like, what are you showing your second level manager, right? Are you penalizing them? Are you making it easy for them to bring other experts in that maybe work for them that can answer questions? Or, or are you holding them responsible for some behavior of your employees that they're worried about? You know what I mean? So I think like all of these things like play in together, right? And so I think it's just very easy at the top to be like, there's no meetings. I'm like, you know, people at the top, are often like, like to me, that's the place to start, at least for a lot of it. And then of course, you know, the bureaucracy that follows that comes back to like, what are the processes to deliver products? What is the processes to review sales goals and things like that? Like, okay, if those things are well understood, 
and those things are easy to measure without having people to actually walk you through it, you're going to have less meetings. But if you want a meeting tomorrow on what's going on in Asia Pacific and nobody's asked that question or you haven't reviewed the dashboard, it's going to generate a lot of meetings. Hmm. Too many meetings. I, so, <laughs> de- de- now, now, as, as a uh, related thing, I think I, think I want to get your, your take, Brandon, on, on reports that within Netflix – there is less access to salary transparency than, than, than there used to be. Like, it, it, it looks like I didn't even know this was part of the uh, you know Netflix uh, awesome pack or whatever. But apparently, in the past, it, there was a, quite a bit of salary transparency. And uh, you know, was. when I was re- reading, and, and I think it's been less, it's it's lessened recently. And and the funny part, well, if I remember what I read correctly, it, somehow one of the drivers was that. There were, and I think it said director. There was too many directors, uh, and and they were like getting upset about how different people were paid. So it's almost like too many promotions occurred. This this seems like a common tech company problem. But Brandon, this seems like a a topic that is custom made just for you. The, uh... <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I don't know. If I have probably anything I haven't said before on it. So it's just like I, you know, I just I always come back to like you know, you know the books, right? Like especially you know uh, Reed Hastings. You know, he wrote his management book, right? Like almost as the stock market, as Netflix stock was at the top. And like one of the things was like radical transparency and, you know, that gets discussed a lot. I don't know, to be fair, I don't know if he said that. I think that was just one of the ideas is that, and also the idea that, you know, Netflix is really big on like teams, not a family, right? Like, hey, we're a group of professionals. We come together. Uh, this is how we operate. And like on a team, especially a professional sports team, is like everyone can look at your statistics. Like you can look at it, like how many tackles, how much passing, how many goals, whatever sport it is, right? And it's just open there. And it's, and we all know if you do well, you get rewarded and you are highly paid. And if you don't do well, you know, you're either off the team or you're not as highly paid. And everyone can look at a sports team and see generally what the salaries of all the players. And so, you know, when I see the stuff from Netflix, it's just like, well, yeah, when the stock price was going up, and, you know, you seem to have endless growth. You know, that famous uh, PowerPoint gets passed around like millions of times. But now suddenly things aren't going so well. And immediately you backtrack from the core tenant of like, because I don't even understand, like, why would it be a problem if people saw it and were upset, especially at a culture of Netflix? You would just tell somebody you're not worth that, right? You would just be direct, right? The old keeper test. It's like, we will keep you at this salary. This is what we think you're performing at. If you don't like it, you can move on or like, and it, or if you did better, we'll pay you more. Right. And it's like of all, I mean, the, the culture has like, as, as, as it has been described to me is like, that is the culture, but to now walk away, like now when it's the time, like now it's kind of hard, right? Now, suddenly the stock price isn't doing well. People are frustrated now to start walk away and to start to uh, create the bureaucracy around it. Like, like, what did you originally stand for? Or everything that you said before was just sort of like, you know, back to like the halo effect, right? It's like causation <laughs> versus correlation. Like all these things you said before really have nothing to do with the success. It's just well, sort of like while you're riding high, you made these like grand pronouncements. Now that things aren't going well, you're just kind of doing what everyone else did. So don't be afraid. Don't be upset when someone points that out to you later on in a meeting, right, that you may not want to have. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly the same as like all those free snacks going away or, you know, the the massages at your desk. You know, you don't get that stuff anymore now that the stock price is starting to trickle downwards a little. So, yeah, um, what's what's good for me is only uh, only good when the stock is up. Yeah, I think pay transparency would be great. You know, isn't isn't there a law? I think in don't, California- don't you actually just want pay transparency for you, not for me? 
Yeah, no, it, 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 like there, there, there's. I've noticed this in 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 the VMware job listings that I think there must be a law in like New yeah, York law that has and to be California that, now. Yeah, 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 you have to put like the salary range or whatever in there, which makes sense. That that must be fun, and it must be delightful for recruiters where they'd be like, "Oh, it's listed as this," and they'll be like, "That's for New York. You live in Ohio," and and you know. It, Whatever. This is an argument as old as time that I always have that, about you know who cares where you live, but it uh, it, it must be uh, just a lot. It's of harder hassle. to ride but, your bike to work. Yeah, that's but it, but it, you know it's it's empowering for uh, for workers to uh, to get an estimate what it is. But versus... I, I don't know to really go maybe more philosophical on this. I mean, it's good to use your It's like the only really win in salary, I think, is to um, make a salary where you can uh, live a a, a comfortable life and still save money, right? In the end, that's really all that matters, right? That you can like, if you will, have a net savings rate. So if you're in a job that you are generally happy with and you are able to put away some amount of that in savings and you're not like, if you will, um, you know, living through like FOMO anxiety, always feeling like there's just stuff you don't have that you want that, you know what I mean? Like you've created a, a, uh, living standard that you're comfortable with, like in the end, that's like what matters. That's what actually wins, right? Because all this other stuff, it's like, you know, I, other than like finding managers that like you or people sharing the data with you kind of like privately or telling you what's going on, it's like, you know, none of this, it doesn't get fixed through any type of transparency. You know what I mean? It just doesn't, right? And so I think that's like what you can control is just like, hey, I know I need to be. I need to make this and live in this area. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yes, I want to make more. And if I see opportunities, I will. But I'm not going to radically change my lifestyle, um, even if I get that extra money. Like, that seems like to me, that's the only like winning strategy to the whole thing. Well, the main benefit that you want to look out for in a job is that if you're taking a flight of six hours or more, you can fly business <laughs> class. And I think, I think Ooh, if, I like if, you, if you could sort through the jobs that you have, you'll find out which companies have uh, cast systems and which don't. And uh, I, th- I think you can weight heavily on that. It's always always good to look at. Uh, you know. So as 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 a final thing, and this is one that I have very little insight into, but I I, I will be. It would be great if there was some more reporting on it. Maybe some analysis. It looks like there's some. Uh, I don't know. There was an article written that and 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 written, uh, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal and showed up in the Register that maybe this whole Slack thing didn't really work out for Salesforce. That there was there wasn't really like. There were no uh, no uh, to, to reword it in my phrase. There were no synergies achieved. Right now, I don't really know. Right, like I I, I haven't tried to go use Salesforce in a couple of, of months, and it does always seem kind of connected to what you were saying earlier, Brandon. It seems like you know why do you need to have a meeting to go over the APAC stuff? Don't we have Salesforce? And you should just be able <laughs> to go, have go look dashboards at dashboards and reports. Yeah, yeah. But so so there's that. I mean, we all know what the answer is. It's just like, well, yes, we do have Salesforce. You need to use it and, and you know, go in and, like, make sure that it's updated and that blah, blah, blah. When you customize it, you don't abandon it and all that kind of stuff. But anyhow, uh, I, I have they, like, I, 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 when I was reading this, it occurred to me, not that I follow ERP space or whatever, but, like, I don't know, like, I, I can't really think of anything that they've done as far as combining them together, like, and so, you know, maybe there's even like, like a go to market. Like, what do they call that? A spiff? Maybe you get a spiff if you uh, if you sell some Salesforce and Slack or something. And so, there's some synergies to be had there. Or can you like update your your pipeline estimate with like a little slash command and an, and an yeah, emoji but, but or something? 
you got to assume some of that stuff existed before the acquisition, right? I mean, Slack's always had a a strong integration game. And like, if that was the point of the integration of the acquisition, well, it wasn't well thought through. Now, now there's, (laughs) there's, there's there's another case I was thinking of is that maybe I'm overthinking this and this wasn't a synergy acquisition. It was we need to enter a new type of business acquisition, right? Well, I think if you listen to Benioff, I think it was clear that the business case included some type of bundling, like, Hey, if we have this together, we can bundle, in this case, Salesforce and Slack. And they have some other stuff. I mean, Tableau is actually owned by Salesforce as well. Oh, so yeah. my my large read on this is that, and again, like this is, I mean, this feels like a business lesson as, you know, is as old as time itself, right? It's like, we're going to buy these other things. We're going to then sell them as a bundle to our current and new customers and we'll make more. And it's like, probably no more than 50% and honestly a lot less does that actually work out. So I think that's just what's happened here is they bought all, they bought Tableau, they bought Slack and they haven't really seen any additional sales growth from either. Now that they're under Salesforce, which I think actually all three of those products. So like, if you just asked me, I'd be like, they're all great products, you know, unto themselves. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think, you know, the buyers of Salesforce would have any more affinity for Slack or Tableau than just, anything else. So, so I get it. Like, I'm sure if you're Benioff and I think that's just probably why his uh, previous co-CEO is stepping down and why uh, the CEO of Slack is stepping down as well. It's just like, it's just not working out, right? It's just not going. And there probably is no, I mean, I don't want to say there's no hope. It's probably, it's like, there probably isn't going to be any bundle strategy going forward. So the people that had to pay were the co-CEO and the head of Slack, or maybe they didn't have to pay. Maybe they just decided like, we want to, like, it's not working out. We're going to move on, you know, and let Mark Benioff kind of like restructure the company however, you know, he wants. And so, I don't know, it's just interesting because, you know, like Salesforce has that, uh, I think it's, a, it's Mahalo. That's a Hawaiian word, right? Is that like, yeah. they have that very like um, Hawaiian type of, you know, attitude, I guess a lot of things. I know Mahalo is like, well, or that attitude, I can't remember what they call it inside their, their culture. Maybe it's that, but uh, but it does seem like, you know, as, as, as we've seen many times before, it's like during times of a downturn, right. You, you kind of see, like, I guess one of the articles was like, you know, Salesforce is, I guess, Mark Benioff unhappy with worker productivity, you know, unhappy with uh, work, work from home. And it's like, it's just kind of the same thing we see over and over again. So, so hopefully to work it out, but I mean, all those products are good. So I don't know, to me, I guess it's like, I'm not there every day, but I'm like, yeah, Salesforce seems like these are good products. They'll all do well, maybe not as well as you want, but Seems like a solid business to me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think I think we can derive or we can add more weight to uh, like a, a general M and A principle, which being a principle mean, doesn't mean it applies one hundred percent of the time. But is that uh, if you are going to acquire a company that is a different like product or technology than you are, you can't get synergies. Like you are just going to have to run it as a separate part of the company. Like you know, you can use your like Microsoft account to log into Xbox or something. But I doubt they there's, have like. There's know, no synergies between Excel yeah. and, and my Xbox account. But right. it, it's just shared, like it's a shared account. Yeah, they're they're just they're just separate businesses, and and yeah. you treat them as such, right? And similarly, like unless you had some really good insight, I'm in into like a text based chat entry thing that you're going to use to like update your pipelines or do reporting, like you know. You, you could just run it as a separate business and that could be cool, right? But then, of course, you have the team's problem and everything. Like, it just seems like a uh, bummer of timing uh, that, yeah. that you keep, encounter. Keep but I think, what about this as a, a meeting that you'll never be invited back to? Like, I think if, if you're just like more honest about it, like if you just sort of like grab some McKinsey study, you'd be like, listen, 
the bundling strategy works at best 25% of the time, right? So we do this acquisition. <laughs> yeah. If we just said like, listen, just industry standard. Like, I, I mean, I really, cause I think there's a ton of these studies out there. It's like, if we do this one in four chance, it will actually make us more money. Now, if we have a ton of extra money and we don't have any great ideas, maybe like one in four is not a bad idea. If we really are counting on this to double the revenue next year through bundling, we should probably cross that off the list and go do something different. You know what I mean? And just like, but I, you know, I just know in the meetings, like if you gave a probability, people would be like, you know, what, what do we pay? And then you get, you walk into like, why are you here? Why do we pay you? Right. You're like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just here because I think this is more realistic. They would want someone to be like bias to action. You're going to take this, you're going to integrate it. You're going to go out and give like a, a pep talk and it's all going to work. And it's, and that's what, and those are the people that execute acquisitions. And then when it doesn't work, you just like walk away. It's kind of what's going on here. But you know, you could have just asked anyone to walk in the room and be like, what's the general consensus of this? One in four is probably even generous, right? It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe we are, you know, maybe it's, it's going to happen for us, but like statistics would say it's not likely going to happen. And, um, and, and the good thing about that is, is given the, the Salesforce, you know, Hawaiian culture, you can start and end with the same slide and you'll be like, aloha, I'm here to talk about your strategy. Aloha. Let's, we talked about your strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I totally. And it's like, like you know what? We told you what was going to happen, and you know, here we are at the end of the the cycle, and that's what happened. You know, there, well, you didn't like, get these. Tenergies. There was this you, this other one that was funny in this uh, in this Benioff article. It's, he said something to the effect of like, like fifty percent of the sales, or sorry, like oh, like I don't know, like ninety percent of sales is coming from fifty percent of the salespeople, right? That, that's what he said. Something to that effect, right? And it's like. Well, like, I would just be like, well, there's the answer. Well, then, you know what I mean? You know who's not producing, right? And like, so you can get rid of that staff. And it's like, but you know the answer. Like, if you gave that answer to him, he'd be like, well, it changes. It's not always like, I'm not sure exactly who it is. I just know, you know, this person's productive now, but next quarter it could be someone else. And it's like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. kind of enterprise sales. That's kind of how it works. You know what I mean? Like, when you actually go under the covers, it's like, yeah, you don't really know who's most productive. Because it's not a, a game that's like that predictable, right? It can easily yeah. move. So, so again, it's game. like, it's just kind of funny. You were just to like, literally, if you're like, if he was going to a press conference, you would just ask that question. Like, again, if, as long as you didn't work for him, you know, you can maybe irritate him. If you work for him, I'm sure he would fire you as soon as you said that. So, you know, other oh, things wow. to think about. Mahalo, as they say, mahalo. <laughs> well, I just, but before, before we get to the recommendations and stuff, I want to do uh, a quick check-in on, on what's going on with the AI. What, what are y'all's feelings? Are we going to be replaced? You know, we got, we're going to have the, uh, the chat GPT open AI thing in Microsoft office now, apparently maybe it'll I, be I think, augmenting searches. How, how, what's, what's the feel over there in Australia, Matt Ray? Are they, uh, I think, I think by the end of the year, we need to do an episode where we, we take our topics, we feed them to chat GPT and we just read it <laughs> and we see how badly it goes. Um, good, good. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, uh, this is going to be the year of, uh, you know, mania around chat GPT, you know, both uh, pro and con. Um, you've got your schools have already started banning access. So that's fun to see. I don't I don't know if that's an Australian thing or an American thing, but uh, schools are starting to block off access uh, to the websites. I'm sure that's going to work well. Um, because <laughs> kids don't understand which to me is like the clearest sign to buy to be uh excited about oh, something yeah. is when a school bans it like a school bans a book a musician uh an app anything you're like i want all in i am all in on that <laughs> that, that trend that technology like i believe it's going to be incredibly successful that that is a strong signal from the market yeah 
but, well, but yeah, I think the I, whole, I think... uh, I'm, you know, as we kind of work through the kind of the first order, uh, all the things like everyone's tried it, everyone's done a Twitter post. Um, you know, everyone's done some type of interview with it. So like, it's okay. It's cool to see all that working through. I guess I've been thinking to myself, it's like, well, what kind of business? Cause it's sort of, it kind of, um, sits kind of like early Google, like the search results were awesome from Google. It was clear. We're like, this is going to be great, but like how great. it was going to make money was less clear. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, and I think that's exactly our, what's going on with uh, the AI stuff. And it's like, I think though, for it to realize this massive valuation, it probably will be tied to some type of advertising product, right? A product by which the more that you use it, right. The more that it can display some type of advertising unit and the more that the business can grow, which well, is both, like, I wonder, so I wonder if one, if I'm totally wrong, but it just feels like that's where these things typically end up. Um, but it would be interesting if someone were able to license it and do something like completely new, right? Because that's the thing that none of us can see. It's like, oh, this whole new thing they can do and we're all going to pay for it in this new way. Um, I'm really interested to see, because I, I think right now, like 10,000 startups are being born that are going to try to like uncover this. So I'm very interested to watch like what actually happens. Yeah. yeah, well, and it makes sense the way Microsoft is investing and intending to integrate it with Bing, right? Uh, Google has started sending fewer and fewer questions off to other pages. You know, they, instead they just answer them on Google. You know, you 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 Google something and, and the website just tells you the answer instead of sending you to the website with the answer. And I think Microsoft's intention is for Bing to be the place where you ask your question, you get the result without leaving. And of course, they get to show you more ads while you're on the page, and and so I think you know that's a natural that that doesn't sound like a, a, a you know a a, a slack in the Salesforce type of hey, how is that going to work? <laughs> no, I mean I've heard that same pitch, and it's like that makes so much sense, and I'm almost definitely sure that will not be the big hit, right? Because it's sort of like well, well the, the Google, that's the Google obvious hit. That's the obvious. That's what I'm saying. Know, like I think it's probably like like this is why I think it's interesting. It's like okay. People keep saying that, but also I think like Google, like we're all trained to use it and the revenue, this was kind of shocking. I, I learned this, heard this other day, Bing makes $11 billion in revenue, which to me is like shocking, right? How, that's unbelievably yeah, enormous. Sure. That's double Twitter, right? But then Google makes like, I think roughly a hundred plus billion dollars. So it's like, it feels like, yeah, like, yeah, chat GPT, like it seems like it would be in that area, but I'm like, I, I bet you it's somewhere different. You know what I mean? I just feel like, everyone's kind of looking there. So there's probably something else that we're like missing that someone's going to, and like, it'll come out of nowhere. Someone will crack the code and then we'll all be like, yeah, that was obvious. Instagram put that pictures on the internet. We knew it was going to be huge, but I don't know. It could also maybe just be worth paying for. (laughs) (laughs) We don't pay for things on the internet. No, but I I think, I think, you know, in addition to to what y'all are saying, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, just shores up your uh, competitive advantage. And then also, like, you know, can become something that's whether you're continuing to pay for something that now includes it or it's an actual new thing that you pay for. I mean, you know, there's the enterprise cases of like loading in your own like stuff that it analyzes or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it, uh, you know, it seems like that's what's awesome. Nobody knows. And everyone like this is a cool thing about like, I guess, the startup It's like every idea that can possibly be thought of will be tried in the next three years. And like 99 percent of them will be awful. Yeah. And there's going to be one that just blows us all away. And we're going to be like, man, should have done it. And oh, I, credit to Microsoft. I mean, it looks like they're going to like 
buy half this company. It's like, talk about a good bet. Like this does seem like one of the bets. It's like, yep, I need $10 billion. I think, I think it's something like 10 or $20 billion. Microsoft's going to ultimately put in this to get half the company. It's like, and if you are Microsoft, you're like, yep, let's take $20 billion. Let's throw it over here. And that seems like good odds. Seems like, yeah. like if it pays off, it could be worth a trillion dollars. And if it doesn't, it's like, ah, whatever. Just a little, that's just a little <laughs> extra Azure revenue. We'll get something else. I think, I think yeah, it's what when, one of my snarky newsletters put it like, it's better than buying Pinterest for that amount of money. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And, and at least you know that you've influenced uh, a whole generation of essay writing. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, speaking of essay writing, uh, have, do we have any bureaucracy to go over, Brandon? Uh, just quickly, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that I sent some stickers out. One to Peter in Sweden. He got a new laptop, and he says he's, uh, quote, he's one of the annoying people with all workloads on premise. So uh, so they leverage OpenShift, which is still on pre- premise, which I just want to. Uh, and then he also let us know that um, he thought it would be tough working with mostly American vendors, but it turns out American government dislikes the cloud because information securities as much as the Swedes do. So yeah, so great. You know, uh, I guess the America and Sweden, we have that in common, right? That, I was glad to hear that. So glad to hear from Peter and also sent Norman some stickers in Germany. And if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. There, there should be like a uh, global government uh, cloud club called like Fideus Private Cloudus. Like just, you know... <laughs> Or, or Simper privatists, whatever, whatever that, uh, whatever that word for, uh, not you know, Sim- brother and Simper sister. Simper nimbus privatists. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Well, uh, you know, just I, I have some bureaucracy. You know, I have, I have a great newsletter, and if you don't subscribe to it yet, and you've listened to this far, you probably would like it. If you go to newsletter.cote.io, you should subscribe to it. It goes out about once a week, sometimes more or less, but uh, you know, do that. It'll be fun. Now, we also have, not we, but we as a collective community. There's some conferences coming up. There's that conference, uh, and the speakers and the schedules are up uh, now, and it's in Round Rock, January 15th to 18th, which is pretty soon. You can probably still get 5% off if you use the code SDT when you register for it. It should be pretty fun. I think I saw a Twitter post that they were loading a bunch of things into semi-trucks to uh, set the conference up. So, so that looks great. Now, also, later this month, there's going to be the Spring One Conference, which is online now. So that means it's free to attend, so I have no discount code. But it's January 24th to 26th. And if you go to springone.io, you can register for it. I've done a lot of work on uh, what you'll see there. Many other people have done much more work, but uh, it's it's good stuff. I think uh, you'll you'll uh, you'll see some stuff. I, I saw one talk today that I did a lot of uh, help out with, and it was it was fun to see it uh, performed. I should get into that writing speeches. That's that's an easy job, right? Speech writing. <laughs> you just throw it into ChatGPT. Hey. hey, and and then also uh, I'm going to be speaking at uh, Configuration Management Camp, uh, which is February sixth and eighth. Uh, the eighth is a bunch of workshops, but those are delightful. That's going to be in, in Ghent. I won't embarrass myself by pronouncing it correctly in Belgium, but uh, you should check that out. Uh, if you just search for configuration management camp, they like to remove all the vowels except one of them, I think, for the name <laughs> of the conference, which is a little inscrutable, but also fun. And then there's State of OpenCon 2023 in London, February 7th to 8th, and uh, the Cloud Native Security Con North America, Seattle, February 1st to 2nd. Hopefully it was a great conference. I'm sure uh, people enjoyed it in the future. 
uh, of February 1st and 2nd. And then uh, there's also the Southern California Linux Expo scale. And I think I did have a talk accepted there, but I haven't accepted it yet. I need to. I've never hurry. spoken there. Yeah, I think it's uh, either the 14th there. or the 16th that you have to accept the CFP. But I, think I got it's it. The 15th, right between those. But yeah, um, yeah. So the I've, I've got it in somewhere. Yeah. I'll, I'll check on it tomorrow. Are you coming? Are we going to see each other in Pro- Los Angeles? Probably. Pasadena? You, you know, I applied to a, I applied to a bunch of conferences where I felt like we need to show up more and talk about this stuff. All right. And, uh, that was one of them. I think also SRECon somewhere. I, I submitted. My talk, talk was to. not accepted to that. Oh, that's that's too bad. We should do one of those conferences uh, where talks weren't accepted. Isn't there a name for that? The rejects. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a Kubernetes rejects, uh, KubeCon rejects uh, has that at least. Anyhow, scale is March 9th to twelfth in Los Angeles, and then finally DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama, not England, is April twentieth to twenty first. But if you want to find all those things I just ran through really quickly. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 396, you can find links to those. And uh, we're always interested in hearing about more conferences. I'm always interested in hearing about conferences that would be good to speak at because there are both a lot and not too many of them. (laughs) Especially the ones that you don't have to travel too far for. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Unless they're interesting locations. So I'm looking at you, APAC. Send me me somewhere good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That would be nice. Well, with that, what do you have to recommend this week, Matt Ray? Um, I got a pair of recommendations. Uh, I spent a fair amount of time on airplanes the last uh, two weeks, you know, going back and forth to the U.S. Um, and caught up on on some of my TV watching. Uh, so I finally finished watching the Wu Tang Saga season two, just in time for season three. So if uh, if you are a fan of the Wu Tang Clan, this series. Uh, you should be watching it. Um, I thought season two was actually much better than season one. So, uh, uh, you know, it's good stuff if you like the Wu-Tang Clan. Not for anybody else. <laughs> My wife was like, what are you watching? And and our eyes rolled over before I finished the sentence. So, um, yeah, there's that. And uh, I've also been enjoying the Oxide and Friends podcast. Uh, it's a successor to the On the Metal podcast. It's just uh, Brian Cantrell and a couple of the other folks over at Oxide with... Uh, celebrity guests talking about the latest news um and the episode uh, i wanted to call out was the breaking it down with ian brown um there was a twitter space where uh folks were talking about twitter's infrastructure and elon musk hopped in and started uh you know berating one of the guys about his opinions and it turns out the guy of course had been a a frontline um engineering manager at twitter for eight and a half years and actually knew absolutely what he was talking about but got kicked off kicked out of the chat so it's a very good, you know, discussion about uh, reengineering, um, technical debt, and uh, you know, showing up and trying to burn a place down from the inside. So, oh. <laughs> what's 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 up with those oxide people? Are they are they shipping boxes or anything? I think what, they're shipping they boxes. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah they're they're shipping boxes with you know, brand new uh, uh, control, you know, bare metal controls and uh, all open source yeah. and uh, you know. Uh, Nothing but uh, respect for the work they're doing, and have fun storming the castle. They they need to uh, they need to send us each a box that we can run our, <laughs> our home network on. <laughs> yeah, we can do our. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it sounds. Could we do? Could uh, could we do like some uh, encoding on it uh, and some video? Uh, I'm, work? I'm sure you could. Right. I'm sure we'll edit the podcast on it. That's what we need. We need more. Yeah. Uh, 
more uh more horsepower for sure they need the attention we can give them yeah you need a Absolutely. you need a you need to buy a sidecar for your service mesh uh to get your <laughs> your your goopy gp3 oh the, this is bare metal so you know we're we're way below that threshold oh that's good hopefully it's got some some parallel processing for video <laughs> editing <laughs> Yeah, start, start listening. You'll catch up soon. Thank you. How about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Well, my recommendation is um, pretty pedestrian here. It's uh, large garage shelves. So I bought some, uh, I'm calling these these industry, industrial uh, garage shelves, shelves, rather. They're about uh, 90 inches tall. So there's like five levels and they're about 90 inches wide. So got to have a big space for it. But uh, I felt like uh, we we as a family, we... We purged a bunch of stuff. We have a lot of extra space in the garage now. It's mostly very clean. We got rid of all the crappy plastic shelves and, I don't know, hand-me-down shelves. So I feel like, you know, we've, if you will, we've re-architected the garage. I'm really happy with it. Uh, I'm hoping that we can uh, limit ourselves to, like, if it can't fit on a shelf, then we, we probably don't need it. You know, that'll be, um, uh-huh. if, well, that's my storage shed that I'm trying to get to. So uh, they were more expensive than I think anyone should spend on shelves. They were, I think, $350 at uh, from Home Depot, which I don't know, had a hard time uh, spending that much money. But now that they're here, I really like it. So if you've, uh, I'm sure like thousands of other people have been shopping for these. I will highly recommend them. Get Put them in your garage and you can have the peacefulness. When you par- park your car in there, you'll see all of your stuff nicely organized. I, th- nice. I think you hit on two things there, Brandon. One is a metaphor for less meetings. Just like you can have less meetings, <laughs> but that means you're going to have less stuff up on those shelves in the boxes, right? Yes, like yes. you got to get rid of the Putting in shelves isn't going to let you like keep a bunch of crap that you should have gotten rid of. And then two, you know, we, I, it's only two. I put up two shelves recently for the kids and I rediscovered, as you have discovered, like shelves. You need a lot of shelves. Like if you don't have shelves, you should look into that because they're pretty magical. And especially like, just like if there's an empty space in a room somewhere, consider putting a shelf there because it'll, it'll probably be yes. used. You need, you need to take advantage of vertical space. Build up uh, for, for all your crap instead of uh, build down. Well, my recommendation, uh, I, I, I was lucky to get plenty of time over the break to read, uh, read some books. And I finished reading one book quite short called Mouth to Mouth by Anton Wilson. Antonio? I don't know what his name is. Uh, I don't know. It was like recommended here and there, but it's a, uh, it's a fun, uh, the premise sounds completely stupid, so I'm not going to tell it to you, but it's a, it's a good book. It's very well written and engaging. And, um, I don't know, there's kind of a dumb twist at the very end. It's not dumb. It's just like, yep, sure. But, uh, it, it still was quite delightful. It's uh, it's, and it's also, a, it's a good, it's a book that's easy to come in and out of, uh, to read as you know. Uh, you're doing stuff here and there. So check that out. Mouth to mouth. It's uh it's a good book. Available where it is. And with that, this is as always has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, including links to the recommendations, the conferences we mentioned, uh articles and ideas, topics, philosophies, schools of thoughts, statistical sine waves and black swans that we discussed here. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 396. There's also a great Slack community if you uh, are interested in participating in it. We get lots of sort of uh, ideas of things that we talk about, the links, lots of discussion that goes on there with a, with a great community there, all sorts of things going on. I would highlight the podcast production channel where we talk about podcast production. We also have a chat GPT channel, which is pretty good. I, I uh, 
Brandon started that one, I think, and I have been delighted that it uh, it works. People keep writing <laughs> in it. It's it's uh, it's good. They do. And um, yeah. I think I think with that, uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Bye. And so we ended up bringing eight bags back. <laughs> so uh, I brought back just under four hundred pounds of stuff. Can't you just like can't you just do that in a spreadsheet now? Just like you know, equal sign statistics. Just keep just keep the three boxes. Just don't no new boxes. I'm just again. I I don't want you to take offense. If a fourth box shows up, I will not. I will not <laughs> let you in. Just being completely honest right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought I thought we we had something going here, but now when it comes to like audio editing, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I am not. I don't want to do that. All right, let's, uh, well, I will try to get back because it sounds like, you know, we're not starting anytime soon.